Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's great to be able to spend this first uh, Sunday afternoon of the new year with you. Um, a year ago, just just a little bit less than a year ago, we were first beginning to hear about this this virus that was beginning to emerge. Who would have thought that we would still be in this situation at the beginning of 2021? We really are living through history. Our great grandchildren will learn about this. They'll think about how their their ancestors, as we will be then, coped during this time because all of our normals have been so disrupted. I don't know how you've coped. I think a lot of people have found it very difficult. A lot of people put a brave face on it. A lot of people have tried to get on as best we can with as much normality as we possibly can. But I really don't think any of us can say that it's been fine. There's been that sense that something isn't right. The things that we desire, the relationship, the being together, being able to worship together. How I miss just being in a room with a whole load of other voices singing the kind of song that we just heard Ant sing for us. To be able to hear it together with one voice. And it seems even that uh, whenever we are be able to find some sort of normality, it seems as though singing might be one of those things that is affected for longer. Who knows? We'll see what happens. It is so unstable. And so it seemed to me, as we try to do at the beginning of each new year, we try to look at something which is going to help us. And it seems to me that it will be really helpful for us to just pause and to reflect and to encourage ourselves about something that is timelessly secure, unchanging, which is the God who we worship and our relationship with that God. In the middle of disruption, in the middle of uncertainty, to know that there is a great God who is revealed in this psalm that we've just been uh, looking at, that Laura read for us, a God who is revealed to us, who we are invited into. So I just want to spend literally a few minutes just thinking through some various points as we, we look again at that psalm. So let's have a look at, at verse 1. And the first thing that we see in verse 1, it's an, it's, it's an opening statement. But I just want to pause for a minute and think about that opening statement. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Just think about that for a minute. Let's just pause. What an incredible statement that David, the psalmist, makes on our behalf. He says that there is a unique characteristic of the relationship that we have with God, which is he has searched us in a way that no other human being, maybe even ourselves, are able to know. Every single one of us, every human being who has ever occupied space in this world, the God of heaven knows. 
the creator God, the sublime, awesome being, the one who with words spoke into being the universe, the one who created all things. That grand, huge perspective of creation is kind of focused right down to the idea that that same God knows me and knows you. He's searched us deep inside. That's on the one hand, the most assuring and safe and secure place that it possibly can be. Because if we have a relationship with that God and we know that literally nothing is hidden and we are in relationship with that God, then it is a tremendously special place. It is an incomparable place that the God who created all things has searched me, knows me inside out, upside down, back to front, every emotion, every response, every attitude. He knows me and he has searched me. I don't know where all of us who are listening into this stand before that idea, what, what our thoughts are. I guess for some of us, it is the most securing idea, but maybe for, for you, it might be a very disconcerting idea. In some ways, it is for me as well that the God who created all things, who knows the inner me, knows the bleakest, darkest being in me as well. And so there is, there is the first traces of the need to be reconciled to that God who knows me because we are exposed and being exposed before that God can be either a safe place or a very fearful place. And so my encouragement to you as we begin this journey, just think about what is my relation? What is my relationship to me? Am I aware? Am I happy? Am I reconciled? Am I restored to a God who knows the depths of me? Or is there a little part of me that just wants to run away from that I am? He knows, searched me. Verse 2 carries on. And verse 2 to verse 4 really speaks about the incredible idea that God knows my words and my deeds. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down, familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you, Lord, know it completely. The idea that God knows every word every deed, 
even before I speak those words is just an incredible concept. I think we're, as, hu as a human race, we're beginning to kind of scrape at the edges of that kind of knowledge. I think for David, if he reflected on this, or even 50, 60 years ago, we would have found it absolutely inconceivable, that kind of human knowledge. But, but if we just stop and pause and think about the kind of information that is being captured on each one of us, who have any kind of digital connection, if you wear a tracking device that counts steps, something as simple as that, somewhere out there in some data warehouse, there is the knowledge of every step that you've taken over the past year. Everything that you've done, all of the movements that you've made, scraping at the edges of the idea of that kind of knowledge and we can't even really know what to do with it but God knows it all this great some God not only is he able to know it but he takes time children before a word is on my tongue you, Lord, know it completely. You know what I'm about to say. You know the attitude which drives those words. You know everything about me. Activities. He also knows the significant moves that we make. I don't know what your concerns are or as you seek to live a life of faithfulness before God I think for many of us we 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 get really tied up with this idea of of always trying to know what God's will is for my life look at what verse 5 and 6 says you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. No matter what I do, no matter what actions I take, even those deliberately rebellious actions which cause me enormous strife, enormous difficulty, enormous hardship, the knowing God, the God who hems us in at times with rebuke, you but all of that hemming in is so that he might guide us in those most difficult decisions in those things that we've done that we know that, uh, that the outcomes lives are a result of the rebellious heart that we we exhibit at a deeper level if we know a god who loves us even then we are hemmed in, even then well. It seems to me as though we can relax then in trying constantly to know God's will. What is God's will in this? What is God's will in that? It seems God's goodness 
and justice and mercy and no self-centeredness and the decisions that we make confined within those kind of boundaries are our journey of faithfulness before him and he hems us in in all of the things that we do because he knows when we sit down and when we rise up if he knows literally when i move then he knows the big things that i decide to do as well when i think about that verse six is just the most incredible statement isn't it such knowledge is too wonderful for me too lofty to attain i can't even begin to understand that kind of knowledge, that, that kind of capability of understanding, of containing, of protecting, of nurturing, of guiding, of being aware, of knowing the omnipresence and omniscience of the God who we worship, it's just too big for me to understand. For God to understand all of that in-depth significance and knowledge about me is more than I can understand. But when I multiply that by every, every person in this world, it is beyond my understanding. It's just too big. We stand in awe of this God. We stand in awe of a God who knows all of these things. And really what David is encouraging us to do is to say, look, when you know this, when you know the size and breadth and majesty of this God, the protection that you can know is actually being able to say, I I can't understand that, but I trust you. I trust you. I know that you have your hand on me. You are with me, which is what David carries on and says. He says in verse seven and eight, you know, in verse two and two to four, and sorry, two to six, we see that God knows our days and our words. Now in verse seven and eight, we know that God is present in our circumstances. Where can I go from your spirit? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Probably nothing in the Bible is more poignant than the experiences that we've had over these past months in relation to these two verses. No matter where I find myself, whether I am fleeing from your presence, you will not let me go. Whether I'm experiencing moments of heavenly joy, you are present there. Whether I am effectively feeling like I'm dying if I make my bed in the depths. You are there. You are present, Lord. 
when the tears of joy flow. When I feel lost and alone, you are with me. I cannot get away from your spirit. I think in COVID days, there is nothing that we can say that is greater than that if we trust in God. We can't explain, we can't justify, we can't understand the outcomes of many situations, but we can say this, I can go nowhere which is outside of the presence of your spirit. You are with me. And you're not just with me, but if you hem me around, if you've got your protection around me, and if you are with me, in verse 9 and 10, we go one step further, where we see that your hand is guiding me. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. The God of creation, of creation is holding me fast. No matter where I am, whether I am rising up in, in a sense of spiritual joy, rising on the wings of the dawn is the idea behind that. Or if I'm settling in a place which seems so distant, your hand is there. The God of creation stoops to guide his children in the created world, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our lawlessness, in spite of our sin, the God who has his hand upon his children is present with them now and continues to guide them no matter where they are. I think the conclusion in verse 11 and 12, which is partway th through this psalm, is a great way to reflect today and to conclude. If I say, and some of us might have said this over these past months, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me. That idea that I feel cut off, I feel surrounded by darkness, I feel as though there is no light, the light has become night around me. What do I say in that bleakest, most desperate of situations? What does David say? What does David effectively put the words into our mouths so that we're able to say? He says this, even the darkness will not be dark to you. Even, even the darkest of times is not dark to the God who we worship. The night will shine like the day. The darkness is as light to you. How comforting. The darkness we feel is not dark to the God who we worship. But some of that darkness is, 
is driven by rebellion. How, how can it be? How can it be that darkness is not dark to God? Because darkness is real, isn't it? Darkness is real. My darkness is real. So how can that darkness be light? It brings us all the way full circle to the very beginning of what we had been opening with. This idea that the relationship that is opened up is based on a deep personal relationship with that God, which is forged through that salvation worked out by that God. How can we have the salvation relationship that might bring us into the confidence that our darkness is not dark to the God who we worship? The answer is simply this, it is Jesus. John chapter 1 and verse 9 has got it so clearly when John says this, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The light was coming into the world. The darkness that is just covering this world in so many ways. There is a light which breaks in. This Christmas celebration that we've just had is celebrating the coming of the light. And our, our relationship with that light, with Jesus, moves us to be able to say that the darkness will not hide me and the light becomes night around me, but it will not be dark to you because you are the light. And the light, the night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you because Jesus, the true light, brings us hope. What a great, hope we have in a dark time 